You're listening to the Dealmaker Podcast, hosted by multi-millionaire property investor, entrepreneur, and Guinness World Record holder, Liam Ryan. Discover how to start, scale, and grow your business. Become a better negotiator, create more opportunity, and make massive profit so you can live the life of your dreams. And welcome everyone to Liam J. Ryan, the Dealmaker Podcast, and we are in for an absolute treat today because I am joined by a very special guest, serial entrepreneur, Dominic Monkhouse, who is the author of one of his brand new books, Mind Your fucking business. And we are going to be talking about all things entrepreneurship, uh, mindset, starting and scaling. So it's going to be an incredible, incredible session. So Dominic, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. How, how are you today? Liam, I'm very well. Thank you. Great to have, great to be here. Glad, glad you've asked me to come on. Excellent. Well, I'm sure you're going to add lots of value out to the dealmaker community. Um, do you want to just sum up in, in a few words, um, really what Dominic does, who you are, what you do, where you're based and uh, the products and services that you offer out to your clients. Yeah, look, I, I, I ended up building a couple of IT tech firms in the UK. We got to sort of 30 million turnover five years twice. Uh, we sold the last business and my daughter is going to be nine in May, just been born. And I thought I'll work for myself rather than for other people for a while. And I thought I would uh, learn some new skills and then go and get a proper job. So that gap in business coaching has now turned into the longest job I've ever had and the most fun and rewarding job I've ever had. I work with CEOs and executive teams in fast-growing technology firms around the world. And one of the things that I hate about or hated about earlier on about my job was you turn up in a hotel you're paying a fortune as a del- for delegates. The coffee's crap. The food's crap. You're in a basement. There's no windows. So we've got a small farm down in Wiltshire, top end of the new forest, and we built the management lab here. So when I work with clients, they come here and we do their we do their strategy offsites here. Excellent. That, that that's really good. And you know, you 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 coach and train you know CEOs and companies for big uh, big growth. Um, if we're talking to people that are just, say, starting, they're in the early stages of building any business, what, what would you say are some of the most important key elements to be focusing in on in order to get that initial momentum up and running? So I think the typical startup in the UK is not a 22-year-old software developer. It's actually... Uh, somebody with sort of 12 years of experience in their industry, maybe they're in their late 30s, early 40s. Um, I think you've got to be able to sell stuff. So here's the bad news. Sales is not a bad thing. Peter Drucker, the grandfather of management thinking, said companies only have two processes. One is marketing and the other is innovation. And so you've got to work out and he only said marketing, not sales, because in his view, if marketing works, then you don't need sales. And I say sales to people so often who aren't sellers, and they're thinking Arthur Daly, secondhand car dealer, Robin old ladies, you know, <laughs> double glazing salesmen, mugging the public. And they're just, but without selling, you don't have a customer. And without customers, you haven't got a business. Yeah. And 
I think you've got to really be clear about who your target customer is. So I think you've got to be laser focused on that. Not, and you've got to, you've got to be able to say, what is the problem? What is the, it, the word, the phrase I use is jobs to be done. So what is the job that they've got to do? And how is your product or service going to allow them to do it really, really well? What frustrations do they have when you think about your, your competitors? And the clients that I work with might turn over billions of pounds a year, but so often they're not actually really clear on why somebody buys from them and not the competition. Mm. And if you can nail that and then you can project that over and over and over again, then uh, you'll, you'll get some momentum, you'll get going. Yeah, I think I think you've covered on some really key points there. Um, it's ultimately similar. What what is the dream outcome if someone comes and buys your product or your service? You know, where are they now? What are their pain points? Where are they going? What can they achieve? And how can they get there in the quickest time frame? And, and I love what you said about sales. Um, I I love selling, and I've embraced sales ever since. I was on the playground in school. I was always that kid at school that could get you whatever you wanted. I used to go in with two. <laughs> I, I used to go in with two bags. Um, my school bag, which I certainly wasn't interested in, could could hardly read and write, to be honest with you. Uh, and then went in with the uh, the proper bag with the jeans and the perfumes and the all, all of that type of stuff. And I, I used to go and spend the weekends uh, down in the markets in and around London really good friend of my mum called Tim and he used to be one of those market traders with the big lorries and he used to push the side up and had the headphone on uh, and it was just a great experience to understand how to build desire so I've always been someone that's embraced selling look as long as what you're selling is a great product then you should be shouting about it as much as possible um, if that thing is going to to help that person and um I, um, I ended up knocking on doors for Zenith Windows for like from the age of 15 till I was till I was nearly 20. So I, I, I spent and I love door knocking and really embraced it. And, you know, through that process, I, I learned how to um, embrace rejection. I, you know, thousands of doors slammed in my face. What, what do you think it is, Dominic, about selling that scares people so much? I, I think it might be the rejection. Right. So I think as yeah. human beings. It's interesting. If you look at, I was talking to a, a colleague of mine, Nick Marks, who's got a, a fantastic TED talk on happiness. But he, I was talking to him about why is it that people don't want to come back to work, maybe don't want to go back to the office. And, and we were talking about this sort of how human beings' brains are wired. And people can perceive a thing, they can perceive a negative thing, and so they can go, oh, I'm not really, I don't really want to be rejected. I can understand that. I don't really want to go to the office. Um, but what they can't do is they find it really difficult to think what would the positive, positive thing be. So they can't think for themselves how they will feel in the future when they go to the office and are happy. And they can't think for themselves how, if they haven't done it already, how will, what's the positive outcome? So they, they just get, they just persuade themselves, but maybe it's also the sort of public mm. speaking, you know, people say they would rather die than speak in public, you know, so yeah. there's a there's sort of rejection and there's, there's a lot of things that people feel like they don't like yeah. about that. And, you know, particularly if you're, you know, so I, but we sell do, all the time. Yeah. Do, 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 do you think it's a great point, right? Maybe we'll go on to the speaking in a minute. Cause I, you know, I love speaking. I'm, I'm a public speaker as well. And, 
a lot of my audience, you know, inspired to talk. But again, they, they just seem to be full. full. Uh, let, let's talk about this, the fear, right? You know, people seem more than ever, when I work with people, they just seem to be filled with so much fear. Ha, ha, what, what can you share? What do you share with the people you work with? And what can you share with the audience? How, how do you get over this, 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 uh, this being full of fear? Well, what we do with the children is we just don't give them an option. <laughs> so so I think you could take I think you can take the same approach with adults. I mean, if I sat there and I said to people, would it be OK? Do you think if you did a thing, if you've created a safe space for people, I don't if we're if we're if I'm facilitating, I don't really give them a choice. I sort of push them. Um, but I there's also um, there's also a, a sort of test I do with an audience often to see where the because the other thing is that you also think that how you feel is how everybody else feels. And so mm. often if you can get people to realize that they feel that they're behaving in a way that's not everybody else, it gives them, it gives them an option to think, what else could I do? So if I said to you, Liam, look, if I've got, if you had spinach in my teeth here on the podcast, you know, we've just met, would you tell me? Would yeah. you tell me if I had spinach in my teeth? Uh, yeah. You'd have told uh, me before we started 100%. recording. Yeah. Right. So, there's about, when I do this, I've done it with probably now thousands of people. There's about 30% of the people in the audience who'll say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that it's too, it feels too awkward for me. And the awkwardness is on them. And then I say, well, what if we up the ante and maybe my fly was down or, you know, I took my skirt into my knickers. It, then it's, it's sort of 50, 60% of people are like, I'm not having this conversation with you. Like I, just, I would just let you, I would let you walk out of the restaurant or walk around all day like that, then get involved in helping you fix it. And then I say to people, well, what if I had, um, what if I had my performance, I had poor performance at work, are you prepared to come and tell me that you're not happy with my performance at work? And then it were at sort of, we're up much closer to 80, 90% people, people don't like feeling uncomfortable, right? Yeah. So they're not going to initiate an uncomfortable conversation. And I think fear, maybe it's uncomfortableness rather than fear. But I think, I think one, if you put people in a room with people who don't feel uncomfortable and you, they see them do it, so often if we're teaching selling, certainly around with some SDRs in the past, we just do some live calling, like, and, and once people have got on the phone and they realize that nobody died um, and the world didn't end and it was actually not as bad as they thought and now they've done it a bit and they're less uncomfortable, then you can, now whether those people end up enjoying it is something different, but you can end mm. up feeling less uncomfortable. Yeah, interesting. So, so really it's like implementation, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. just just try it. I, 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 I talk about this a lot and I say, you know, you've got, you got a decision to make. Number one, um, decide fear, stay in fear. Or number two, choose success. You can't really have both. And, and sometimes you've got to just step into success and just say, hey, in for a penny, in for a pound. I'm going to give it a go and see what happens. And um, it, it sounds really good, Dominic, that, that something you do is really encourage your audience, your clients, the people you work with, just to give it a go and see what happens. Yeah, and well, I think that's the other really thing important. Is, the, the other thing is that you're obviously a very driven human being, right? Um, and our motivation, our intrinsic motivation, I don't think managers, managers shouldn't have to motivate anybody. You should hire people 
who are intrinsically motivated and create an environment where you can amplify that. But the, the thing is, it has. I think that motivation is stronger if it's towards rather than away. So one of the things which is also common with startups or small companies or solo entrepreneurs up to businesses that I catch in the sort of millions or billions is this concept of purpose. So like, why am I doing this? Right. And, and so often you can get people to, you know, run across broken glass if they've got a powerful purpose, like why? So why would, why would somebody do something that makes them feel uncomfortable? Because they're driven to do it. Mm. And people have to unlock that. What is their drive? What are they get? What are they going towards rather than away? So, you know, if you if you're overweight and you decide to lose weight, the further the more weight you lose, the less motivation your weight in, exerts upon you. So that's probably why people yo-yo up and down. But if you decide to get healthy, you know, you want to do couch to five k, you got to have a reason, right? You know, may, often people go, "It's my children. I want to be here when I want to be here. To children, grandchildren. I want to live longer." And, and that gives them some some clear motivation or supporting somebody else. Or, you know, you see it often you've got people, you know, working themselves to the bone to provide money for their children's education. Mm. And it just, you know, I'm always in awe of people who one of our clients um, sold everything, entrepreneur, sold everything, stopped paying himself, moved back in with his parents. Uh, he's got his company's got 500 employees they their mission is to change the lives of a million people in south america and what they do is they send those they get people in south america positions in universities places in universities in australia and canada Eighteen thousand people so far have gone from south america to university and wow. you know his business was going through a tough patch but he doubled down on it and he's driven to not have a house, not have, you know, he said, I don't have a, I don't have a house. I don't have a car. I don't have a girlfriend. I'm focused on my business. Move back in with my parents. And it just that you people will put up with so much if they're committed to something that they believe in. I think, I think that's incredible. Yeah. Determination, not allowing anything or anyone to get in your way. Um, having a vision, you know, a vision of, where you want to go and 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 ultimately overall purpose and i and i think people just float through life with no real vision or purpose um and then they die and then that's that and it's and it's sad and 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 i i believe anyway that every single one of us on this planet can bring great value can live exceptional lives can help other people um because we just don't know when our time is up and every day for me anyways, about enjoying life, giving back, um, feeling fulfilled. Um, ju just swinging back on something you said a few moments ago around speaking. Um, obviously, you are a public speaker. Um, now, what would you say to anyone that's like, you know, want to want to become a And what benefits is public speaking had on you and, and also the people that you work with? Is, is this something everyone should be aiming to to do and, and, and learn speaking and communication skills? I, I think it's, I think the, if you, Daniel Pink wrote a book called Drive and he talks about mastery. And I think if you're trying to communicate something, then constantly learning how to improve the way you do that. And so does public, does everyone need to be a public speaker? Well, 
I, I, you know, I was doing a podcast this morning with um, PR agency and they are, you know, lots of the lots of the gigs they got for me was the CEO. They were they used to be my PR agency, so they would get me public speaking opportunities, and that would create some sort of asset that we could use in the business. And if I'm presenting to the team, if I'm talking to the company, and I'm trying to, uh, you know, get everybody excited and motivated, then you know that's you got to speak in public. If you're doing any type of sales, that sort of speaking mm. in public, and and you know, doing thinking about public speaking, um, you know, and how to get your message across and how to have uh, real impact is a, is an art and a skill, which, you know, you might have some natural talent for, but wherever you are on the talent spectrum, you can, uh, people can help you to deliver your message more succinctly and, and with bigger impact. Yeah, no, I think, I think, I think it's, I think it's a great point. But I believe everyone should, at least want to improve their communication skills, you know, through the art of public speaking. Doesn't mean you have to get on big stages, but in this day and age, you know, Facebook lives, YouTube videos, creating content, uh, doing podcast interviews, uh, speaking to your team members, negotiating deals, putting in offers. And if you look at a lot of successful business owners, um, they all seem to be able to communicate better than those that are not business owners. So I think that's really important. Um, j- just out of interest there, Dominic, uh, what, what, what motivates you? What keeps you personally as a very successful individual? Uh, what keeps you motivated and on track? I, I have a purpose, which is to demystify business growth. So, you know, I, I spend money creating the podcast. I've written a couple of books. We, we send out a weekly newsletter to about 6,000 business leaders. And, you know, I, that all costs money. I, there's a small fraction of the world, you know, I'll work with 10 CEOs and their teams at a time, but there's a large number of people that I feel a desire to help. And so, you know, I, I, I'm gifted or afflicted. I'll read two books a week. I'll read thousands of podcasts, uh, blogs, and I'll, I'll listen to hours of podcasts. And so I take that and synthesize it and share it back with people so that, they don't have to do as much reading as I love to do. Um, and I get a real kick out of it when people send me a note saying that was perfect. I had this challenge and you helped me. I had a company in Germany ring me recently and they said, I wrote your, I read your, we've read your article on restructuring our management team. Uh, we've done all of that. We just want to pick your brains because there's probably something you didn't write down in the article and we just don't want to get it wrong. So I spent <laughs> a couple of hours with them on the phone, just helping them restructure their management team. Um, and so I, you know, I I love doing that. I could, I could do nothing, but I hate golf. Um, <laughs> so I've got to fill my days with something useful. <laughs> oh, that's, that sounds amazing. And and um, again, you you've got purpose there, and it's great to hear that you you want to give back and help people because I I do believe a lot of people, even the most successful, we all need that help, that support. Um, there may just be one or two pieces of the puzzle that are missing that could literally take your business from 10 million to 100 million in a very very short space of time and, and unless you've yeah, got I that think, sort of support around you you don't know well you see i think i think i ask for help right and so there's a there's a, a guy called dan sullivan who might have trained four thousand entrepreneurs uh, 
a guy from Canada in his 70s now. And he's he wrote a book recently called Who Not How. And lots of people have a challenge and they go, ah, let me work out how to fix this. Right. I I I look at it. I love this book. I, I now look at it and go, who knows the answer? Right. Yeah. So I might want to be a brain surgeon and I've got my Black & Decker from Wix and I'm saying, Liam, come on, let me practice <laughs> on you. And so often that's what people are doing. They're, they're, they've got this new business and they're practicing on their customers and they're a bit crap at it and the customers are going to notice. But there'll be somebody else who's already done a thing. So find them and ask them. And my experience yeah. is when you ask people, they will give you their time willingly as long as you've got your your request is reasonably structured. And so I've. I've had lots of help over from lots of people over time and I feel I owe a debt, you know, give it back. Yeah, give it back. That's great. But you're obviously very successful, Dominic. You work with really successful uh, leadership teams and CEOs across the world, you know, multi, multi-million pound, billion pound uh, organizations. Uh, what would you say are some of the traits of the greats? You know, to be a great leader, to build a great company, are there certain things that you've noticed that successful people do that unsuccessful people don't do? Um, ooh, I I think you can be successful and be a dick, sadly. So, <laughs> but I, but but I, I would say I don't know. I the ones I work with that I enjoy working with definitely are have some humility about them. Mm. And I suppose they wouldn't be working with me if they thought they knew all the answers. So they've got yeah. some humility. They're curious. I think they work hard. You know, I have this conversation with my kids when they decide they want to play computer games and watch TV. It's like, if only you could do this for a living, girls. <laughs> if only. Right. So you've got to work hard. Uh, and I think you've got to have that. They do have a passion for something. You know, they've, they, you said earlier, they've got to have a vision got to have a purpose there's got to be a why to drive them otherwise they wouldn't work so hard mm. yeah no I, mean, I, 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 I was i was with us i was with some clients in new york the other week and i just got people to jot down on a piece of paper three initials so uh w f and r now you've got 10 points to spend so that's uh work fitness and relationships and you've got 10 points you can spend. So think about you today. How would you, how would you put, where would you put your 10 points across work, fitness, and relationships? Are you balanced? Mm. Right? One of the guys in one of the guys in the room put 811. Wow. And it's like, and I just looked at it and I just thought, you know what? I, you know, he's um he's not a spring chicken, he's in his 60s and he looked unfit. And it's like, you know got to do something about that you can't work yourself into the ground yeah and, and i think that's just what many many millions of people unfortunately do and you know hopefully by us doing this podcast today even if even if this podcast was to help just one person just one person make a change in their life then then our service is done right you know we don't know who's going to totally. listen to this um but it's possible and i think that's the key thing Anything is possible if you've got the right help, support, guidance around there. So it, it's been it's been really, really great having you on, and you, you've shared some amazing golden nuggets. Now I, I know you've just released a brand new book, 
which my audience are going to absolutely love. Um, could you just let us know what is the name of the book? Where can they find it? And really just give us a summary of what the book is and, and why we should go and buy that today. I, so the book's called Mind Your Fucking Business and available from Amazon and all good booksellers. And what I tried to do is, is it in it, I tried to find 10 things that I think people get wrong about scaling their business. And so one chapter is about sales. You might hate me for this. I, I, don't think, I, I don't think you need to pay salespeople commission. I actually think you can build a sales team and just pay them a salary that salespeople are people. Um, talk about how to acquire talent. You know, often people tell me that finding people is really hard. That's not my experience. I think people are looking at it wrong. Um, don't get when you scale your business, do it in smaller teams rather than functional groups because otherwise you destroy customer value. And meetings are shit. So there's a chapter on everyone I talk to spends their life in shit meetings. And yet, why do we do that to ourselves? Like everybody knows what to do. Everybody, my experience is if I ask people, they all know how to, how, what a good meeting looks like and yet find themselves in shit meetings. So there's a chapter on <laughs> how, how, how to spend your life in, in great meetings. Well, it sounds great. I'm, I'm going to pick your brain on one of these and, and then we'll go into some final comments. Hiring great talent, real building teams. You know, if someone's listening to this and, and they've got five staff and want to go to 20 star, or if I'm here today and I've got 35 full-time staff and a whole bunch of sub sort of subbies and things like that, call it 60 people and I want to go to 100. Is there a, a magic formula for finding great talent, a, a secret way of recruiting? Uh, what tips would you give to anyone wanting to grow? To grow? It seems that everyone today right. wants to be an, everyone wants to be an influencer, Dominic. Yeah, <laughs> and do nothing. Yeah, yeah, yes, or yeah, yeah. That lovely. Good, good luck for them. Good luck to them. <laughs> it's not something. It's not something I could be bothered to do. But um, in terms of hiring people, I think. Uh, Jim Collins in his work on Good to Great says every manager should ask two questions about their employees every month. Knowing what I know about them, would I enthusiastically rehire them tomorrow? And if they resigned, would I try and keep them? And if you can't say yes and yes, then that person shouldn't be in the team. What we're looking to do is we're looking to build a team of A players and an A player, it's not like stack ranking. So it's not the top 10% of your company. It's the top 10% of available talent for a given job in a given location at a given salary. Because as a business owner, what you need to do is need to build the best team you can afford. You know, so if you take a football analogy, you know, you're Brentford, you know, you know where you are in the league, you know what you can afford to pay. But if you're, but I see all the time, I see small businesses thinking about the next hire as a cost rather than an investment. And mm. so it's a, what's, who's your team? Your team? I'm um, Arsenal. Arsenal. Arsenal, right. So Arsene Wenger, there he is. And he's, uh, he's looking at, he's, I don't know, won the Premier League. And he thinks, oh, here's our star player. I'm going to hire somebody next year who's a bit shitter and a bit cheaper. I mean, that's not what football managers do. They go and say, what's the best available talent? I'm a bit weak up front. I'm going to buy the best striker in Europe and uh, we're going to put him on the team. Small businesses go, I've got Mary. She's in sales. 
I'm going to hire somebody not as good as Mary on less money. Or I've got Florence in accounts and she's amazing. So I'm going to hire her a junior. And we keep doing it to ourselves. We hire not as good people. So we should then say, of the 60 people you've got or the 15 people you've got, would I enthusiastically rehire them again? You don't need more people. The best A players are five times more productive than B players. If you think about it on a scale of one to 10, your A players are nines and tens and your B players are, are eights. And then you've got these other people on a seven. And sometimes they disappoint you and other times they do enough not to get fired. Those sevens are killing your company. Replace mm. them with A players and you can double the productivity, triple 5x the productivity and spend not a dollar more on salaries. I like that. I've got a, I'm going to have a nice little afternoon now, Dominic. Look, look, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm going to have a nice little afternoon. Some, some of my staff might not be happy with you this afternoon. Yeah, um, But no, I'm, I'm going to have a little look at that because I really like the way you've put that. I'm actually really happy. Well, I thought I was really happy with most of my team up until today. They're a great team, but um, yeah, it's, it's a great way to look at that, which is good. So um, just before we finish off, just before we finish off, um, where can people find you, Dominic? Uh, do you have a website? Have you got uh, on the socials? Yeah. Uh, the only one we're on is LinkedIn. So you can find me there, Dominic Monkhouse or monkhouseandcompany.com. Excellent. Great. Uh, this is Liam J. Ryan, the dealmaker. And in just a few words, what does being a dealmaker mean to you? I think that's finding something which is right for the customer or the client and right for me. Win-win. Great. Absolutely fantastic. So there we have it. Dominic Monkhouse. What an incredible, incredible interview. Loads of golden nuggets to be shared with anyone listening to this now that is looking to start, scale or grow any type of business, become an entrepreneur, do less, earn more, live the life that you truly deserve and desire. If we can do it, you can do it. So thanks for tuning in and make sure you tune in to the next episode of Liam J. Ryan, The Dealmaker. Thank you very much and I'll see you soon. You're listening to The Dealmaker Podcast, hosted by multi-millionaire property investor, entrepreneur and Guinness World Record holder, Liam Ryan. Discover how to start, scale and grow your business. Become a better negotiator, create more opportunity and make massive profit so you can live the life of your dreams.